You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss recent macroeconomic trends as they relate to our outdoor recreation industries. We touch on inflation, unemployment, interest rates, and a bit of economic theory. How are brands and customers reacting to these trends? Let's get into it. It would be nice to have a conversation about macroeconomic trends and describing how that affects our markets. Because I think if I'm considering bikes and if I'm considering like your broader outdoor audience, there's activities that range from requiring like luxury goods, like in a lot of cases, like if we take mountain biking, for example, mountain biking is a great fun activity. I've been a mountain biker for many, many years. You know, it's not an essential product that you would have to prioritize over food, gasoline, baby formula, all that sort of stuff. But if you're using a bicycle for commuting purposes, then that it totally shifts and, and the need for that product, which exists in the like outdoor rec umbrella still, becomes prioritized a little bit higher because you got to get from point A to point B. And similarly, like health and wellness and fitness and like maintaining our mental health by engaging in these physical activities is a high priority too, regardless of what's happening in the rest of the market. Like we still need to be able to take care of ourselves. You know, like that that walks and talks a little bit differently than engaging in activities that are maybe not as necessary. Like um, I don't want to pick on anyone. I'll let you give an example, maybe. This is interesting to me. Yesterday on LinkedIn, I was reading Matt Powell, who works for MPD. I was reading his post, and he was talking about, you know, girding for a major economic downturn that could drastically impact our market because he said a lot of people that are participating in outdoor activities spent their big bucks during the pandemic on whatever big piece of gear they wanted. Yeah. And they're done. They're not going to buy it anymore. And we've got, you know, remote work is dwindling a bit. And we've got inflation that peaked at 9.1% in June, still running at about 7%. Regardless mm-hmm. of the fact that we've got low unemployment numbers, wage increases are not keeping up with inflation. So basically, I'll take a pay cut this year. Sorry to tell you that. You know, even if you got, if you, you're going to need a 7% increase to, to stay even. I'm, I'm not sure where I sit on the distribution between the sky is falling and everything's fine. I'm probably I'm probably a li- leaning a little bit left of neutral, but not quite to Matt Powell's level. Um, we can expect a downturn in the outdoor economy. I yeah. think he's right. I think he's he's right on both counts. I don't think it's going to be as as severe as he fears. What do you think, Patrick? <laughs> well, I'm going to address the first part of that, which is that we definitely saw demand pulled forward during the pandemic. And folks who might buy a bike once every 10 years, let's say they were in year three or four of that cycle, all of a sudden they had fewer other opportunities for leisure activities. They had fewer opportunities for activities in which they could engage safely. Cycling kind of highlighted itself as an activity that you could do while you were socially distant from someone else. You could maintain your physical health. You could maintain your mental health. That prioritizes the bicycle purchase, especially if there's like a little bit of a stimulus from from the government. You have a little bit of extra disposable income. We saw demand pulled forward. And we're working really hard to learn about how that's affected the resulting purchase cycle and whether that means they resume a 10-year window. We we see four to six is 
the largest category for that that window, four to six years for writers above the age of 18 in the U.S. But still, does, you know, does that reset it or does their increased frequency of writing during the pandemic like ignite this love of cycling that maybe justifies an upgrade more quickly than than you'd normally see? You know, does that mean maybe they fall out of love with cycling when when they return to pre-pandemic activities and they have youth soccer games they have to go to and they have travel for work that they have to prioritize and maybe they put that out on the secondhand market and and that becomes a bigger avenue for for sales it might i mean what's the lifespan of a bike with its first owner how often do avid bicycle riders replace their bicycle that's a good question i don't know that i can answer that with a number um but i will say that the lifespan of a bicycle has increased considerably recently. You know, if we look at technology advances and if we look at just the sustainability of materials and the opportunities for servicing and replacing parts and components, you can extend the lifespan of a bicycle a lot more now than than previously. So I resuscitated yeah. my Santa Cruz this year by, <laughs> sla- by, by slapping an Eagle uh, Grupo onto it, yeah, which was, I mean, cool. it's it still costs probably... All said and done, about eight hundred and fifty bucks to do it, and I was feeling kind of kind of crappy about that. I mean, and this is my n equals one moment in our podcast, right? <laughs> That's you know? okay. Let us let us determine what's going on with the industry by one experience. But I was shopping mountain bikes, and I just I don't have. I mean, to replace the bike I have, mm-hmm. I would need eight to nine thousand dollars yeah. today. Which is which is just kind of out of my price range. Like that is that's actually an item I'd have to save for. I'm not destitute, but <laughs> <laughs> it's you know I'm also not wealthy. You know, if we're talking about macro trends, I think it, it's uh, appropriate to talk about changes, shifts in the price of bicycles that we're seeing at retail. And um, yeah. I think on average, a bicycle now is costing thirty percent more than it did in 2019, which is. A considerable increase, and that's yeah, that's the result <laughs> of a handful of different factors all compounding on top of one another, and supply chain issues limiting limiting supply. And you know, like if there's no bikes left in that like mid price point range, then you're gonna ladder up to the next highest price point. But those bikes are themselves costing more than they did a few years ago as a result of shortages of of raw materials and labor to create the end product driving that price up. And so there's the same product costing more and customers laddering up due to a shortage. 30% increase on the price is is certainly significant. And if I'm thinking about what that means in an economy that's seeing pretty significant inflation, it's hard for the average consumer to justify spending that much more. There's a group at the top that's probably going to be insulated a little bit and they'll continue to purchase it because they're avid or because they're affluent. And there's a group at the bottom for which bicycles are a necessary tool in order for them to get around the city and be mobile. But that group in the middle is is a group that I'm worried about. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things that I'm seeing in the data, the participation data, and this is, you know, I'm thinking about 2021. I don't have 2022 data yet, but the activities that were most accessible were the activities that grew the most. So, you know, hiking, trail running grew more than any other outdoor activity in 2021. It was at the top of the list. Um, And no, we're not including pickleball. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you play it outdoors, but you know, that's that's not quite what we're looking for. So put on your shoes, go for a hike, put on your shoes, go for a walk. Yeah. We have 5 million more people in 2021 than we had in 2020 out walking. Amazing. But in the activities that required a lot of gear, 
other than camping, we saw some declines. I'm starting to wonder if, you know, expense is one of the things that we need to consider, especially in things like, say, snow sports, for example, where, you know, today to participate in snow sports, you know, you're looking at, you know, spending money on probably a season pass, which could run anywhere from, say, 430 bucks for a collective, a mountain collective pass to 1300 for an icon pass. Or you can go walk up where you're going to pay anywhere from 100 to $200. Plus, you know, you've got to have skis and boots and bindings or a board and boots and bindings and helmet and gloves and a jacket. Goggles and, and, and yeah, jacket. Yeah, and I'm going to be interested to correlate some of what we're seeing in terms of, of market sales with accessibility. Because I think mm-hmm. there's going to be a correlation. Yeah, I think that people are going to continue to buy shoes, for example, even though you know, the sneakeromics guy is, is saying that the sky is falling. You know, I'm a, I am a little bit worried for 2022, particularly for sales in the market. I think, I think there's some segments of the market that went fairly soft as, as, a, direct, as a direct impact of, of high inflation. And the, the nice thing is nobody's really worried about job. Nobody's, nobody's running around thinking that they're not going to ever be able to find a job. So, like not having that anxiety in the market is probably fairly helpful. Yeah, but do you not expect that anxiety to ramp up when jobs are harder to come by? Like, but part of the Fed wrangling inflation is sort of forcing that unemployment to rise, right? Like, yeah, it, yeah, the, to help the economy, unemployment needs to be right around five percent. You need you, yeah. you've got you've got to have scarcity to motivate people to work for less money. I mean, come on, Patrick. It's called the dismal science for a reason. But if I'm understanding what you're saying, like, yeah, it's fine now because folks have jobs. And and although our spending power is not what it was a year or two ago, there are still jobs that are providing us with incomes and we can make rational or irrational choices with how we spend that money. Yeah, Um, I think impulse buying is probably higher. And I haven't actually I'm going to go look this up just to see or I'm sure somebody out there will fact check this. Yeah, I would guess that people are more willing to spend when unemployment's lower, especially impulse purchases. Yeah. I'm not saying a bike is an impulse purchase at all, but I would I would guess that people are more willing to spend, you know, regardless of inflation, are more willing to spend when the unemployment is, mm-hmm. is quite low. Yeah. And it, it's quite low, so... And just to be clear, I've made impulse purchases of bicycles plenty of times in my life, and I'll continue me, to do me, that because I see something... Too. Cool, and I see a sale, and I'm like, you know what? I think I do need that gravel bike, or you know, like I, I could ride BMX again. I did that when I was a kid. Maybe I could ride BMX again. Terrible idea. I'm too old, but you know, there's impulse purchases in every category. I think that's okay. Yeah, I did impulse purchase a giant electric bike last <laughs> year's. Whoops. <laughs> hey, that's a cool bike. It is. It's very fast, and I like it quite a bit. And it saves me money on gas. And that's yeah. that's something that I wanted to bring up with you as gas prices fall and they, you know, they fell here around here was at, as the lowest I saw was $2.99 and then immediately shot back up to $3.30. Do higher gas prices incentivize more people to, to commute on bike, you know, to ride bikes, period? Yeah, yeah. commute for sure. For, for transportation purposes, yeah. I, w- I was working in a shop in like, I think it was 2007 or 2008, when gas got to like $5 a gallon in the Dallas area and the bikes were just selling themselves, you know, I, I think, you know, we saw a little bit of a bump in gas prices or, or a pretty significant bump in a short amount of time in 22 gas was bumping up against like $4 a gallon in the Denver area here. 
we were expecting to see an increase in bike sales, but the the gas price increase wasn't sustained long enough really to for that to manifest in the marketplace. I'm sure that it did affect some sales, but if it's not that long of a duration of that increased price, we don't have quite the same effect. Like if it's pretty significant surge and then we maintain that surge for six, nine months, yeah, those those bikes we're gonna we're gonna start seeing those move. Just a, a quick thought. Because it because of the duration, the the short duration. What if we looked at bike share? What if we looked at increased yeah. activity in bike share? Yeah, bike share is certainly emerging as an alternative to personally operated vehicles, privately operated vehicles, whatever you want to call them. And electric bikes too of all kinds really are positioned as a great alternative to driving because uh, you can charge them for significantly less than the cost of um, fuel for your car. You start running into issues with like storage, maybe if you're living in an urban area and you don't want to carry your 80 pound cargo bike up a staircase or something, you know, like, but for a handful of drawbacks of that sort of nature, you know, like storage or or a place to charge it while you're at work, that sort of thing. It's a pretty great alternative to driving a car. It seems like, especially in, if you're in an urban area where driving is kind of a pain in the ass anyway. Like New York City, I won't drive in New York City. That place is freaking crazy. And I work in the city. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it was nothing but public transportation. And I was watching, I was watching a TikTok video last night of a guy that was giving advice to people that were moving into the city. And one of the pieces of, one of his five pieces of advice was, bike share is going to be your best friend. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any Anything like that, where we can reduce the barriers to access, you know, like you don't even have to own the bike. You can just borrow it for a little bit, get where mm-hmm. you're going. And then you don't can have to store it. it. Yeah. Don't have, don't to, have to buy it. it. Yeah. Don't have to maintain it. There's enough supply to where you don't, you know, like you don't have to worry whether or not there's going to be a bike there for you to, to hop on and get to work or get to the grocery store or whatever. Yeah. Bike share, I think is going to be the next big thing. You're like bike leasing yeah. too. There's bike leasing in Europe. I think a lot of groups are looking at as an example of what we could do here. That is a um, great you know, idea. A, a certain fixed amount a month comes with like service for for a mobile mechanic to come to you and, and fix the bike if you have an issue or something. Hang on to it. You don't have to worry about the huge upfront cost of purchasing a bike. It's a pretty interesting alternative. It definitely is, especially for people that have, you know, limited amount of money. Yeah. Uh, you know, totally. I can always, I can usually cough up five to 10 bucks to ride a bike across the city. Yeah, and that's cheaper. That's cheaper than any other way to do it, other than you know, walking, running, hitchhiking, <laughs> you know, things like that. But yeah, it, it, you know, since I live, I live proximal to DC, and you live proximal to Denver. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm seeing it all over DC. I'm seeing more and more bikes, more and more scooters, and you know, more and more conflict between all the different modes of transportation. Are you seeing that as an issue at all with more people on bike share bikes? and other other forms of transportation. I'm thinking specifically about scooters right now. How are cities adapting to that? Are they are they working to adapt better so there aren't very many there are fewer conflicts between automobiles and and other forms of transportation? Let let me zoom out a little bit. I don't want to make this a bike thing or a scooter thing, but yeah, when there's more vehicles, when there's more cars, there's more congestion, there's more conflict, when there's more bikes, there's more congestion, there's more conflict. Like when there's semis that have to go through a city center that's not really made for an 18-wheeler tractor trailer to come through a small old town area, there's conflict, there's 
just it, it's a suboptimal solution. There are a lot of cities doing great work to make sure that their residents are able to move freely and safely throughout the city. There's like, let's take Austin, for example. I think in over the last four or five years, that hundreds of miles of protected bike lanes to make sure that cyclists are able to move throughout the city efficiently and safely. And it reduces automobile congestion. It increases health in, of the residents in the area. And it just makes it a more fun city. We should have a, one of our infrastructure folks on the podcast and they could talk about it more comprehensively than I can. But yeah, there, there's a lot of cities doing great things to make sure that folks can access safe bicycle networks. Yeah, D.C. is tricky for a lot of different reasons, but a lot of the conflicts around the main drag, I mean, Connecticut Avenue kind of runs through the city. Mm -hmm. If anything can run through D.C., thank you, Pierre L'Enfant. Mm -hmm. It's getting crowded, and that makes me that makes me super happy to see that more people are taking advantage of of bike share and even scooter share bike ride to get some of the some of the vehicles off the road here and really improve the urban experience. So I, I think we should just to, to tie a knot in this. We should look at a correlation between economics and bike share activity. I'm just curious. Yeah, I often dreamed about getting some bike share data that I think is kind of tricky to access, but I think there's a lot of power in understanding how folks are using reduced barriers to access to be able to like create a really cool cycling scene in an area and create new opportunities for accessing a city that you otherwise wouldn't be able to access, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it might might help bike share understand demand signals a little bit better. Mm, and there's sort yeah. of a, if, if we build it, they will come and they're usually right, but they could probably do their business a little bit more efficiently if they had the data and could correlate it with, you know, what moves a bike share market. Yeah. Anyway, there's my knot. I'm out. I love it. <laughs> Let's tie that knot back to macroeconomic trends if we can. You know, we, we've talked about inflation. We've talked about labor People for Bikes like just recently started working with S&P Global to create this report which describes all of these macroeconomic trends, both at the U.S. level and macroeconomic trends in countries where the bike industry does business, China, Taiwan, Vietnam, to understand how that's going to affect our industry. And that's just a member benefit. But all of these trends that that are going on in these economies, all, all of our changing consumer patterns are ultimately affecting how we can build a product, how we can get that product to a market and how customers are demanding that product. It's a it's a really complicated tapestry of macroeconomic trends that I think our report lays out really nicely. So I'm going to shamelessly plug that work because I'm excited about it. And that report does a much better job of explaining those trends than I can do. Yeah, that's that's excellent. So the Outdoor Industry Association publishes a quarterly state of the market report that covers mm -hmm. you know major macroeconomic trends. We're we're seeing we're seeing two things happening that are that seem to be directly related to inflation. And one is you know increased participation in accessible activities like hiking. Yeah. And there's there are a couple of categories that appear to be you know it's it's almost like vice. Sometimes recession doesn't tend to hurt vice activities. So drinking, you know, alcohol consumption, yeah. gambling, um, prostitution, and apparently skiing. <laughs> are not affected huh. by downturns in the economy generally or it, you know there isn't there's a clear correlation between economic downturn and and decreased participation or decreased sales in certain categories and like for instance alpine skiing is one of those but i'm wondering i'm wondering it's you know it certainly affects spending across outdoor that's clear 
But I'm wondering if the increases in participation in the more accessible activities like walking and um, running and hiking have something to do with activities that are not only accessible, but basically free. I mean, yeah. what do you, you, need a, you need a pair of shoes, yeah. basically, and maybe clothe yourself. You just really, you just need a pair of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and marginally, you could get away without it. I mean, if we were to create some kind of an intensive study on areas of the market that are affected by economic downturn one way or another, whether it's um, a negative correlation or a positive correlation, it'd be super interesting to do. And I would welcome any comments from anyone about what they think has the most impact on participation and sales. So it's, a, I mean, it's a two-tailed, it'll be a two-tailed study, but mm -hmm. we might find that it has a different impact on participation than it does on sales. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. It does. But I mean, you have to look at it holistically, as you know. I mean, think about the BEA study for a second. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that is, that's a macroeconomic impact study, just pure and simple. But it, you know, it's a snapshot in time. You know, it, it includes a lot of things that people sort of raise their eyebrows a little bit because they don't understand economics, right? Yeah. So you're, you're more of an economist than I am. I'm more mathematician than, than you. And economists are, that's a social science. So tell us, tell us a little bit more. <laughs> yes, that was a backhanded disc. What's, what's really interesting is, you know, how complex macroeconomics are, especially when it comes to black box sort of impact measurement systems. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to really try and view the economy from a macro perspective and what that really means? Yeah, I, I think we did a, a pretty good job of describing that in our episode about the Bureau of Economic Analysis report, but I can elaborate a little bit, although I'm not a macroeconomist really at all. I'm so okay. much more, I studied environmental economics and it, it's all micro stuff. I really, truly hate macro stuff. Nothing that we do exists in a vacuum, right? Like cycling isn't just riding a bike and hiking isn't just hiking. It's it's all a factor of how we live our lives and how we position our values in, in our, uh, when I say values, I mean like we, we choose to spend our time because we value this outcome of it. We choose to spend our money on this because we value this interaction with with the product or the service that we're getting. And all of that is influenced by the rest of the world going on around us, right? And so these trends in the cost of money or the trends and the availability of jobs. When you yeah, ask hey. somebody, if we were to ask a layperson, you know, what's going on in the economy, they probably talk about jobs and how much they spend on eggs and <laughs> things like that. But but under having an understanding of how the ecosystem, the yeah. economic ecosystem actually works is sort of fascinating. There is limited availability and we have to make decisions on what we do. And that's economics 101. It's just like, you have so much time in a day. Do you prioritize cycling? Do you prioritize hiking? Do you prioritize watching TV? You have a fixed income. You have fixed expenses. You have variable expenses. Do you choose to purchase a product that helps you engage in an activity outside? Or do you choose to purchase um, a new TV? Yeah, new, a new TV. TV. So you can sit at home and watch TV. <laughs> new couch, um, new TV. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's I mean, all tied together. It, like I said, it did, nothing exists in a vacuum. It's all influenced by what's happening around us. And that's the macro economy. Yeah, it's actually, you know, impacted by feelings, by passions. Yeah, by by misinformation sometimes. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to take that in a different direction, which is that the greatest 
influence on inflation is our sentiment about inflation. If we think there's going to be inflation, there will be. If we don't think there's going to be inflation, there won't be. Because all of the economic indicators in 2020 and early 21 showed that we should have had inflation, but we didn't because we didn't think there was going to be inflation. And it's this wacky system where like our, our perceptions of the market affect the market more than actual interactions in the market. Yeah, um, our perceptions are actually it's it's worth they're manifested. Yeah. Our perceptions yeah, yeah, yeah. are which is I mean that's wow. It is. Think funny. of the implications of that. Just think about the implications of that. I mean, yeah. for a marketing team that makes me all excited. You know, as yeah. a, as a, as a human being that scares the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I'm going to challenge everyone who's listening the the tens of of people or the dozens of people who are listening. Well, let's all manifest no inflation right now, right? We keep yeah. unemployment low. We can all have a great 2023. Ready, set, go. If you stand in front of your bathroom mirror and say recession three times, I will appear <laughs> and punch you in the face. <laughs> Jay Powell will appear and he'll raise the, the interest rate again. I think his wife will appear and complain about the dog park, but yeah. That's too funny. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.